You might have noticed when my wife came by and she kissed me on the cheek, I asked her a question. And this goes back for many, many years. You know, whenever you're young, you just got married and all these kind of wonderful things that come about. You're in church, you hug a lot of folks and things like that. Well, I asked her, I said, do I have lipstick on my cheek? And there's a reason why I asked that. Because there was a time when I came home one day and there's these big lips right on the side of my face, you know. And she looks at me and she goes, and whose are those? <laughs> Baby, if I had a nickel for every time somebody kissed me, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I've learned that I have lipstick on, whether it's because she informed me it was not her shade, okay? So anyway, I have to make sure I don't have lipstick on because I don't want to get in trouble. And I love you guys, and I would like to be here next Sunday as well. <laughs> Uh, also next Sunday, we will be celebrating our veterans as well as Veterans Day will be coming up. So I ask, as I'm announcing out here, all of you that have served in our armed forces, please, 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 please be here next Sunday as we have an opportunity to honor you. And that, folks, is important. It's not something that we do. It's something that we must do. Amen? All right. Father, in Jesus' name. As Pastor Joy has prayed already, Father, please speak, please teach us, draw us, God, empower us, fulfill your good pleasure in Jesus' name, amen. All right, on the screen you'll see we have the words, a new church, and that's kind of a, I, I was toying with that title because it is not so much a new church as it is a church restored. But in this day and age, with what we see going on in the world, maybe it is God reestablishing a church, if you will, renewed by the power of God's Spirit, standing up, proclaiming the glories of our great King, but also proclaiming His victory and proclaiming that God is not simply gone, that God is passe, but rather God is alive and well in this world. And we, his children, called by his name, we're not perfect. We have our failures. We have our flaws. But we love Jesus. I love Jesus. I know that you do. And in this day and in this time in which God has given me breath, in which God has given you breath, we will not waste that breath. We will use it for the glory of God, proclaiming who he is, what he has done in Christ Jesus to a lost and dying world that they too might come to know the love and the grace of God that you and I have come to know. It is, here's a big word, paramount importance, paramount importance of supreme importance that we do not simply exist or live for ourselves but we exist for Jesus Christ. As God's great desire, so it must be our great desire that everyone come to know Jesus and be set free. So today, if you will, you can go ahead and turn if you're not already there. But to the book of 2 Kings, this is a scripture I've actually preached on not too long ago. I've used it as a subject of scripture. And then early on, when I first came to the church, I also spoke about Josiah. But before we begin diving into this, I want you to think about something. Today is not so much a, 
it will have its critique, but it's not my critique, okay? I want you to understand as a pastor, whenever we start looking at the world, we start looking at the church. Saints, that's not just a pastoral thing. That, as, as believers, as people who belong to Jesus Christ, called by his name, that you are indeed his child, that you are saved, that his blood is your blood, that his spirit fills you. We have a responsibility to look at us Whenever we call ourselves the church, his body, we have a responsibility to look at the world. And sometimes uh, we're not doing exactly what we should do. And sometimes we're absolutely going wide open. And God is, is glorifying himself through us. But what I want you to understand is it's not just me. I want you to understand as believers, it is important It is important for us to evaluate ourselves and to recognize whether or not we're indeed keeping in step with Jesus Christ. There are too many distractions in this world. And people, I'm not looking at you and and speaking or preaching uh, some sort of traditional stiffness in which you cannot live, laugh, or have a good time. I have found freedom in Jesus Christ, not bondage, okay? So I'm not telling you that you uh, can't enjoy the sky, the the moon, the stars, what's around you, that you can't laugh and cut up with your family and those kind of things you're supposed to. God gave you laughter. It's a gift, not a curse. Try it sometimes. It's awesome, okay? There you go. Come on. Yeah, yeah. You know the amen pew's only on the front, but we're going to start one on the front and the back. So we got it good. So here we go, folks. I want you to think about this. Throughout Scripture, throughout what we call salvation history, that is from the beginning, from the very very beginning, the very beginning. Uh, Anybody want a berry bowl? Evidently. So anyway, there's your tag, okay? Somebody on the film's like, he mentioned berry bowls. Okay, moving on. But anyway, from the very beginning, from the time that humanity fell, the reason why we call it salvation history is because God, from the beginning, even before the Bible says, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, God knew our shortcomings and even knew our failures. And God still loved us and still created us and still chose to save us. But from the beginning, God has wanted to save mankind. And there are those that have chose to walk with him. There are those that have chosen to call upon the name of the Lord and to, by his grace, to try to love and to live in harmony and in obedience to God and thereby take his light into this world. But throughout history also, God has raised up those people Not just prophets, but most of them were indeed prophets. And these were people that God would speak to as representatives of himself to go into a world and to proclaim to them, it is not okay for us to turn our backs on the one who gave us life. It is not okay that the author of all breath, the author of all life should be neglected and that we turn away from it. It is only right that we should love the one who loved us first. 
and they were given messages. And those messages, you know, everybody wants to kind of look and read prophecy in the Bible and, and, and they say, well, boy, it's, it's, it's pretty tough. Yeah, it's pretty tough because the people were in outright rebellion. You're going to see some of that today. But the prophets would come and they would speak. But understand, just like I said before, it was not their speech. It was God's speech. It was what God wanted to tell his people. And in every prophecy given that spoke of judgment, at some point, God always, always offered hope. He offered hope that if we would turn, that if we would stop, that if we would let go of all those things that were bringing us into bondage, destroying our families, our lives, and tearing us apart, and absolutely, absolutely eating us up. If we would let go of them, he would restore us and he would heal us. There was a prophet. His name was Isaiah. Isaiah wrote uh, one of the longest living prophets. But I will tell you this, some of the most beautiful stuff in Scripture, some of the most beautiful imagery given, and some of the most beautiful hope that is given in Scripture comes through the lips of Isaiah. But I want you to see something. The Bible says one day Isaiah had gone to the temple. He was going there to pray. And it says that as he was there, he's there beginning to pray, he's there beginning to worship, and all of a sudden, the heavens are open. And as he looks up, he sees the Lord high and lifted up. He sees a vision of the glory of God. People say, well, he saw God. Yes, in a sense he did, but no, in another he did not. For no one will ever look upon God directly and live. The Bible says his glory is beyond anything a human being could ever contain or begin to understand. The Bible says God lives in inapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. But what did Isaiah see? He saw his glory. He saw his manifest glory of God. And you might ask a question, why is Isaiah seeing this? I will tell you because God loves his people. God loves this world. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God's desire is that we live. God will not one day sit upon his throne at the great judgment seat of Christ and rejoice because people go to hell, and they will. But he will not rejoice because of it. He'll break his heart. But Isaiah looks up and he sees the Lord God. He sees his glory. He sees him high and lifted up upon a throne. And the robe of God comes down and fills the entire temple. And I want you to catch something first. The Bible says that Isaiah cries out. You know, and we hear it. It seems like a little thing. He says, woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the land of people of unclean lips. Okay, let me break that down for you a little different. When he says, woe is me, he is terrified. 
He's saying, oh no, I have seen God and I am a sinner and I live in the midst of sinful people. And now I am beholding God. Surely his judgment is coming upon me. And if you remember, it says one of the seraphim, well, the cherubim took the coal from the fire. But anyway, the seraphim are above God. They're proclaiming holy, holy, holy. And the place where he is is being shaken. And the seraphim come and they take a coal from the altar, the altar of sacrifice, of atonement, touch him to his lips. You have that searing idea of God cleansing sin. And God says, I've forgiven you. And then God says this, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? I want you to think about that for a minute. I want that to sink into your heart. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who will listen to me? Who will carry my message? Who is willing to stand up? Who is willing to be hated and even despised in this world? Because they will speak for me. Or rather, I will speak in them. Who's going to do it? Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Most people do not realize the life of a prophet. We think, whoo, they get to hear from God. Everything's wonderful. Prophets were some of the most mistreated and hated people in the world. Some of them. Because a lot of people don't like to hear, you need to stop cheating on your spouses. You need to stop sacrificing your children. Yes, to Moloch. You need to stop uh, devouring one another, hating your neighbor, taking from one another, uh, basically destroying one another. People don't like to hear that. And you say, why? Why wouldn't they want to hear that? Because whenever we live for ourselves, people, it's in our face and we don't like it. So, I want to talk to you about a young man and something that happened to him, or rather what God used him to do. Josiah. Josiah is the child king. He came to power, listen to this, at eight years old. You say, well, why with an eight-year-old, why would they put him on the throne? Well, he couldn't do any worse than anybody else that came around. Okay, that's the truth. They looked at some of these kings. I mean, horrible people. I mean, look at Manasseh. You had Ahab in the north, you had Manasseh in the south, and not to mention Jeroboam and some of the other ones, but I mean, these were wicked people, horribly wicked. I mean, there comes a point that you say, if we put just a, a dummy, you know, one of those, what do they call it? They're called, yeah, the ventriloquist. Y'all do know what Y'all are sitting there thinking I'm calling somebody a dummy. Quit judging me, quit doing it. But anyway, you could do that and you think you could probably do as good a job, right? But anyway, what was happening is his father was assassinated. They'd had enough of him. And so they bring this child to the throne in hopes that this child will somehow take care of Israel. Josiah was prophesied that he would come and that he would turn people away from their sins, that he would destroy the wickedness that was in Israel, that he would destroy the high places and that he would be like his father and understand this as many generations before, he would be like his father David, somebody to love and to walk after fear and worship God. 
By the time, if you look, and you, ha- you can look between two books, you can look between 2 Kings and you can also look at Chronicles, okay? And Chronicles, it lets us know by the time that Josiah was 12, he started getting rid of some of the idolatry. In essence, whoever was influencing him, albeit the Spirit of God, and those people that were around him, they were letting him know that something was very wrong. So by the time Josiah is 18, he decides that we need to do some changes. That the temple of God is still not in the repair that it should be in. And he says, you know what? We need to be repairing the temple. We're supposed to be, you know, people that love and serve God. But here is the problem, people. Israel had gone so far. The southern kingdom of Judah had fallen so far into sin. Under Manasseh, if you, when you came to the temple, when you walked up, there were two horses that stood there to the worship of pagan gods. When you walked inside the temple courts, you had the wooden Asherah poles that were in there to the worship of Asherah. You had the images for Baal or Baal that were there inside the temple. You had all these idols to constellations. You literally had booths, small houses inside the temple area where people had prostitutes, both male and female, so that you could actually worship whatever pagan fertility god you might want to worship. This is in the house of God. And not only is all of this going on in the temple area, as you walk outside, as you go upon the hills, when you hear in the Bible the words, the high places, what it's talking about is just that. People would go up on these high hills and areas to be able to worship other deities. As a matter of fact, a common practice in Israel was that you would go and worship whatever deities or deities or little G's, little gods, out there up on the hills, and then you would come and you'd celebrate your festivals there in Jerusalem to the Lord God. Now it begins to make sense why God would say to Israel, keep your sacrifices. I do not want them. He said, whenever you come in here, he said, you kill an animal and you go right back and you live exactly like you want to live. And he says, I don't want them. I despise them. He even said that your festivals are a burden to me. I hate to even endure them. Imagine God saying that he has to endure our worship. That hurts, folks. That stings. That God would look at us and say, every time you come here, it's a burden to me. Now, was that every single person? No. There are those that loved and served God and came to offer their sacrifices. But God would tell them time again. He said, do you think it brings me pleasure to see an animal suffer? That an animal has to die in your place? No. He says, keep them. I don't want them. If you can't repent, if you can't change, he says, hold on to them. They don't mean anything anyway. But that's what people would do. They were worshiping on one hand all these pagan deities, and then they would come and do the other. And then there were those that wanted to live in outright rebellion against God because then they were free to do exactly what they wanted to do, and they could have whatever idol and worship and participate in any other wicked activities that they wanted to participate in. But this is the condition of Israel. Might I say something to you? Do not throw sticks, stones. You can throw money, that's fine. But don't throw stuff to hurt me. Might I submit to you that in some places the church is just the same. 
just a sec. What happens to Josiah? As Josiah is 12, he begins taking some of these things away. By the time he's 18, he decides that he's going to restore or start rebuilding the temple. So the people come in. He's got all these workers that are trying to repair things. And Hilkiah, the high priest, happens to be looking around in the temple. Now remember all of this, even though Josiah may, may not be as crazy about pagan worship as everybody else is. He may not like it too much. It is still tolerated, people, because it has been going on so long. Listen to these words. It's been going on so long, it's okay. It's become, okay, that's just society. That's just, you know, uh, we're not like our previous generations. Our previous generations, our ancestors, were narrow-minded. You know, they had this whole thought in their mind that we actually need to love and obey God and do what he says. But, you know, they were old fuddy-duddies. They were stiff people, right? And we're more enlightened in this generation, so we can love God and love the world too. Sound familiar? What happens? It's the truth. So anyway, what he's doing is he, he gets there to, to uh, the point of trying to get all this repaired, and Hilkiah's in there, and Hilkiah comes across a scroll, more than likely the book of Deuteronomy. Now, by the way, if you study the book of Deuteronomy, and you get in there, where is it? I think it's in the 20s. 22, 22, I can't remember. But anyway, midway through it, there's God recounts the Ten Commandments, and this is what he does, but he does it a little different. He says, cursed is the man who builds an idol. Cursed are those that worship them. Cursed are those who don't honor their father and mother. He goes through all of this stuff proclaiming curses, and everybody, after he would say one curse, they would say, amen, we will obey. We accept that. And at the end, cursed are those who will not continue in what God has commanded. So can you imagine Josiah, you know, they find this scroll of Deuteronomy, they read it, they go running to the king, and they say, king, you need to take a look at this. And they read it to the king, and the king begins to hear this. Whenever his nation is steeped, absolutely steeped in idolatry, they're not celebrating Passover, which was commanded. You must. Not like it should be. Perpetually, forever. We're supposed to honor, and we as Christians today take that same meal that Jesus said was his now, and it's called the Lord's Supper, and it is celebrated, and it'll be celebrated in that kingdom too, celebrating the lamb that was slain. So he hears this, and he realizes that God says, no, no, it cannot be. And it says he tears his robe and whenever he tears his robe, he looks at the people and he says, basically, God's going to kill us. He's going to wipe us out. Our rebellion is absolute. We have forsaken what God has said we must not do. It has become our norm. And he says, go find me a prophet, please. Go find a prophet of the Lord. Because you know what? You could go right out the door and you could find a prophetess or a prophet for Asherah. Or Baal. You could go out there and find almost any other idol to worship at that time. Guess what? During this time, thank you, Manasseh. Thank you, Solomon. 
You could take your children and sacrifice them to Moloch, the abomination of Ammon. Yes, yes, you could do this. This was going on in Israel. So he goes to Huldah. Huldah basically says this, Judah, judgment's coming. It is going to come. You will not listen. You will rebel again. Judgment is coming. However, Josiah, go tell him this. Because you tore your garments, because you repented, because you cried out to me, because you realized your sin and you repented before me, I will spare Judah in your time. You will rest with your ancestors in peace. But let's see what he did. Grab your Bibles and let's go to 2 Kings chapter 23. We're starting in verses 1 through 7 here, and it says this. Now, the king, Josiah, that is, sent them. This is after they're trying to, they've already read things, they've heard from the prophet, and now it's time for us to do what we can. People, let me tell you this. Judgment is coming. It is. God says one day he will judge this world. We, we are looking forward to the day in which God will judge us, okay? Not that we want to be judged, but we want the final. In other words, those that are his are recognized as being his, and we want the sin and the, the pain and the suffering that is in this world, we want it to stop. So one day judgment is coming. But the question is, is what will happen today? We are responsible for what happens today. In our time where God has planted us, we're responsible. Awesome responsibility you think about. But anyway, for this generation of believers, we are responsible to do everything we can for God's kingdom. And this is exactly what Josiah is going to do. So he calls them together, calls all the people together, all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Verse 2, the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, so they go to God's house, and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. That would be like all of us getting together one day and you, we're standing here, well actually you'd be standing in this case, and we read an entire book of the Bible. Imagine us just reading the entire Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, and you sat there and you listened to it. But in this case, probably the book of Deuteronomy. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but not at this time. So he reads this book because he wants them to hear, thus says the Lord. Not what Shane Phillips, not what Josiah, not Hilkiah, the high priest. He doesn't want them to hear that. He wants them to hear Thus says the Lord. This is what God said. It's not my opinion. It's not my will or simple desire that things be this way. It is what God has said and what God has commanded. So here he goes. God bless the reading of his word. Verse 3, it says, Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant. In other words, he is saying, God, I'm asking you. You've made a covenant with us now. I want to have a covenant with you before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. 
And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, or Baal, Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. So basically the king stands before the Lord and he says, God, as best I know how, as best I understand your word with the help of all those that are around me, God, I covenant with you to be obedient to you. God, I'm tired of myself. I want to live for you. We are going to love you and give you all of our hearts, all of our lives. We're going to worship and honor you. That's my covenant. And all the people said, yes, that's what we're going to do. So the king said, okay, glad everybody's in agreement. He said, you go get those horses out from in front of the temple and you go crush them into powder. You go in there, you take all those Asherah poles that are in there that these women are making uh, garments to go around these poles. He said, you get them out of there. Baal or Baal, you need him out of here. And all those different idols for the constellations of the heaven, he said, I want them out of here. And the prostitutes, both male and female, get them out. All of them. They come out. Okay. So let's take a look at that. Well, let's see. So I'm in verse 5. I guess it is 4 or 5. Let me see here. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priest of the second order. Okay, they're going to get all of these out of there. Verse 5, it says, Then he removed the idolatrous priest whom the king of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and all the places around Jerusalem. The point is, as he says, all of you that claim to be priests, that you were simply put in because your buddy liked you, he said, you're out. You're not doing this anymore. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to the hosts of heaven, and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord that would be Asherah to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem. He burned it at the brook Kidron, and he ground it to ashes, and he threw the ashes on the graves of the common people that would be the lost. Then he tore down the ritual booths to the perverted persons, those would be temple prostitutes, that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings to Asherah, the wooden image. Keep going. Let's go down to verse 10. It says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the sons or son of Hinnom, and no, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Moloch. That is, he got rid of child sacrifice. Now, people, that seems like a no-brainer, right? I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not standing on a, a platform. Well, I guess I am. But I don't, I'm not standing on a soapbox. I guess that's a better way to say it. People, we kill our children too. And I want to offer a word of hope. Let me tell you this. If you're in this house today and you have had an abortion, God can heal you. He loves you. That doesn't mean he's through with you. You have enough pain and hardship in your life already. God wants to forgive you and he will heal you. All you've got to do is come to him and repent, and he'll love you. He'll restore you, and he'll take care of you because you're still special in his eyes. Anyway, moving on. So we do it too. So anyway, I was in verse 10. I, I, I walked away. If I walk away, I lose my place, so y'all forgive me. So anyway, it says he got rid of the altar to Moloch. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. You remember I told you? They were at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber. And it says the officer 
burned the chariots of the sun with fire. Verse 12, it says, The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, another wicked king, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized them and threw their dust into the brook Kindred. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem. So what you're seeing is this continual, this march, if you will, all of this idolatry, all of these things that people not only are an offense to God, but those things that ensnare us. Understand what idols are. They're not just little figurines that are in your house. They are snares. The Bible calls them snares. What they do is they attach themselves to your life. They want to be worshipped. And we, because of our appetites, because of our sins, we choose to do these things. And what happens is he is not simply removing a figure or an image. He is destroying the snare. He's trying to get rid of it. To remove it from Israel. Let me give you an example. Whenever uh, Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, right? Yes, in the end of his life, rebelled and turned his back on God. Solomon, as wise as he was, and I find that interesting wisdom, and he falls. But God had told him, said Solomon, do not multiply for yourselves wives. Is that because wives are evil? No, wives are awesome, okay? If you got a good one, let me rephrase. Women, hopefully you got a good guy. Most women are good guys. So anyway, let me do this. A good wife. Bible says that a, that a, that a righteous woman being far more valuable than rubies and all those kinds of things. Trust me, a good woman is worth more, far more than anything you'll ever make or earn in this life. Okay? But what happened is he was marrying people of different cultures, different belief systems, and things like that. And he said, don't do that. They'll draw your heart away from God. Why? Because they didn't serve the Lord. And here's another thing. When you have a wife you love, you care for, you listen to her, you, you do all those things, and she influences you just like a man influences a woman. That's why the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. We need to both be believers. But anyway, he was led away. He began worshiping other idols, and the next thing you know, he turns away from God, and he even restored the altars to Moloch. Go back and read it. Child sacrifice. That's how far he fell. Alternately, if uh, the youth that are in here could probably tell you this as well, uh, Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings in the southern kingdom of uh, Judah, uh, wound up repenting at the end of his life and returning to the Lord, by the way. Study. It's good. It's interesting. Okay, so continuing on. So he tears down these things, he says, through, through the dust into the brook Kidron. Verse 13, the king defiled the high places. This is one area where the other kings would fail, even the righteous ones. They would destroy what was going on in Jerusalem, but they still left these temptations on the high places. People, I understand we struggle with temptation. It's very, very real. But remember this. The Lord said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It will be better for you to enter into life lame or not having a body part than for you to have your whole body to wind up in hell. Just like with your eyes, he said, if your eye offends you, if it's causing you to sin, 
Now, what is he talking about? He's saying we all need to walk around self-mutilated. No, he's talking about the ruthlessness with which we must deal with sin. Okay? Cut it off. Get it away. It's kind of like this, folks. If you struggle with something, let's say substance abuse, don't have it in your house. Well, I'm not going to touch it. It doesn't matter. Don't have it around you. Okay? Don't leave a trail or a place where you can go to it and get it. Why? Because it will call to you. And you leave those high places out there, and it'll call to you. Is, is, that, is that because you're horribly wicked and evil and all those other things? No, you're human is what you are. And God says, get that garbage away from you. You don't need it. Okay? So here we go. Moving on. So it says he goes up to the high place of the east of Jerusalem, and he talks about the different places where, uh, as a matter of fact, it says, which were on the south, the Mount of Corruption. If I'm not mistaken, in the original language, that's the Mount of Olives where some pagan things were taking place. Moving on. Which Solomon, king of Israel, had built for Asherah, the abomination of the Sidonians. And then it goes about the abomination of the Moabites and Milcom. Milcom right there is Moloch, by the way. The abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke into pieces the sacred pillars. And he cut down the wooden images. And he filled their places with the bones of men. He defiled them so nobody else could come back and worship. And it says, moreover, the altar that was at Bethel. And the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high places. He breaks them down. He burns those places. He crushes it to powder. Uh, where they had the wooden image. And it says, and Josiah, catch this in verse 16. And then Josiah turned, uh, he saw the tombs that were on the mountain, and he sent and he took the bones out of the tombs, and he burns them on those pagan altars. He defiles them uh, according to the word of the Lord, which God had proclaimed, uh, who proclaimed about Josiah coming into the world. Now let's finish up really quick. Let's go to 19 because I'm running over a few minutes and I need to finish up. Verse 19, it says, Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord's anger. And he did this according to the deeds that had been done in Bethel. So he's continuing what he's been doing. He executed, here's interesting, he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on their own altars, and he burned their bones there, and he returned to Jerusalem. So all these people that would not bow the knee to the Lord, those that wouldn't repent but were obstinate and said, you know what, we're going to continue out here and worship. He said, no, you're not. He killed them on their own altars. That's pretty tough, folks. That's pretty tough. But that's what he did. Okay, so verse 21. Now we come out of this to this point. Then the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away all those that consulted medium spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had found in the house of the Lord. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor after him did one rise like him. Okay, a child, 
a child, eight-year-old child, he barely knows what a ball is, okay? And God has him put on the throne. You say, God did that? Yes, he did, because it was prophesied that he would be a different king, a new king. And unlike the kings before, he would walk like his father David. Not that David was perfect, but as far as one who worshipped, loved, and followed after God in many ways, there was none like him. And he would be a king like David, a righteous king. And that he would return the people to the Lord. He would call them to be different, to come out from among them. He saw what was happening to his land. He saw what was happening to the temple of God, to the house of the Lord. He saw where we had fallen, and he saw where it had become commonplace. And everybody just simply said, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. He realized it's not okay. And hearing the voice of the Lord, he said, we must repent, we must turn away. Yes, judgment was coming, but that doesn't mean judgment has to come now. It means that we can repent and we can return to the Lord. And I'm telling you here, saints, that you can look at all the sins and all the things that he destroyed, the things that he took away, and not too long after this, they brought it all back. They brought it all back. But you want to know something, saints? We're not necessarily responsible for 10, or let's just say two, three generations ahead of us. They'll have to take up the mantle. They'll have to follow the Lord. They will proclaim his truth. But you want to know something? We're responsible for today. We're responsible in this day, in this time, for today. And saints... I want our church to return to God. I'm not talking about just Tennessee Avenue. Tennessee Avenue, you're doing pretty good. But we still want to be the light. And in this community and around, there are many pastors that I know that love God, love Him, and are seeking for the same thing that we're seeking for, and that is people, we use the term revival, but here it is. We want to see people return to God to love Him, to serve Him, to stop giving God lip service and start giving Him life service, to be what God has called us to be, that people that are out there will realize that they are in darkness. You want to know why? Because they can't help but see the light in you. I want us to be like Isaiah. I want us to hear, even though that we may be persecuted, we might, like Isaiah, recognize that the people's hearts are dull and they won't listen, many of them. But you want to know something? God still loves them too. And God wants the message to go to everyone because there will be those that will hear and there will be those that will turn to God. And you want to know something? That's one less person that needs to go to hell because you were faithful and because you did what God wanted you to do. Live it, live it, live it. Saints, I fail. I know that I fail. I know my sins. I repent daily of my failures. Well, you say, Pastor, are you going out there tearing up the town? No. But I can tell you this. I see within me that which tries to stray from God. And saints, I don't want that. I don't want it. I want to walk with God. 
you know what? He's my Lord. He's my master. He is my God. He is my sovereign. I am dust before him. But you know what he wants to be? The Bible says, Jesus said, I've called you my friend. That doesn't mean that we're just walking around slapping high fives and stuff like that. But it means that he does want to be your friend. He wants you to know him and to walk with him. But saints, we've got to tear down those altars. Who, what, as the musicians are coming, our worship team, spiritually looking at your life, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see the fruit of righteousness? Do you see God working in your heart and life? Do you see yourself, yes, struggles, of course. But do you see yourself growing and becoming more like your master? Or do you see yourself wandering away? Do you see yourself as apathetic? Really don't care. Doesn't matter that much. Is church something you just do? Or do you see within yourself the spirit of God, the yearning of God, the heart of your God, longing for you to be transformed and changed every single day? I've got news for you. The apostle Paul longed to be transformed every single day. The Apostle Paul repented of his sins daily. And God wants us, like Josiah, to have a new experience, a new church, a renewed and living relationship with God. People, before we can do anything, we must, and you've heard me say this more times than I can count now, we must repent. Repent of our sins. Repent for your church. Repent for our failures. You say, well, I don't know about this. People, I got news for you. We have blown it in a lot of ways. Repent and then ask God to bless and give us the vision. I'm going to be sharing a little bit of that vision tonight. You'll please stand with me. Today, if God is speaking to your heart, you need special prayer. As the music is going to be playing, the altars are going to be open. Come, come and respond as God speaks to you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. And I surrender all. I surrender all. My blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus, 
I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit truly know that thou art mine. And I surrender. surrender. We surrender our hearts and lives to you. And I mean that, Father. We can't hold anything back. We surrender our hearts and lives to you. Father, I ask your blessing upon every person here. I know many in this house love you. Love you so much, God. And they live for you daily. Father, I ask you to continue to bless them as they are light in this world and light in this church. Father, I also pray for myself and for many others pray, Father, that you would teach us to break free from the things of this world. Father, to put to death all of those things that would turn us away from you, to learn to love you, to seek after you, to be, God, what you have called us to be. Make us light in this world. And Father, as we seek to serve you, please, God, bless us. Bless our labors. Rebuke the enemy from us. And God, allow us to just shine and Father, to minister in every moment. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, love your neighbor before you leave. And uh, tonight, remember that we've got uh, the business meeting, deacons about 30 minutes before, and this afternoon at the park, if you want to be there, uh, let's see, it's from, it says here, from 4 to 5 p.m. at... um, Cumberland Park. That's going to be right over there in front of the Bristol uh, Hotel. You can come and be a part.